Oh, good morning. Has everyone escaped the winter flus and wogs and things like that? No, I, I, I'm afraid I, I got through it all, all winter uh, so far, all year so far. I mean, last Sunday afternoon just started coming down with something. So uh, just seen I'm on the improve now. Uh, but if I end up um, coughing uncontrollably or anything like that, I'll just ask for your grace today anyway. Hey, today we're, we're here starting a brand new series and it's, it's on something that I think every one of us have, um, have opinions of but the opinions can be quite different. Uh, eternity, what does eternity mean to you? And now what I want you to do is to just to turn to the person next to you and just give some snapshots about what eternity might look like. Mary, I suggest and you actually get next to someone if you want to participate in this. I don't, I'm, I'm sorry that no one's sitting next to you today, Mary, but I'm sure you'll get over it. So go on, just take a few moments to talk about eternity and what it actually looks like. Okay, how about give us some um, comments, some feedback? What did we have from the from, from you guys? What? Any thoughts? Oh, come on, come on! We didn't draw a total blank, did we? <coughs> What's that? Forever? Yeah. So the the length of time forever is an awful long time, isn't it? And what else? Yeah. Life. Her life. Yeah. Like what, sorry? In, like, like trees and that. Okay. Yeah. What else? Surrounded by God's glory and what, yeah? And worshiping, worshiping Him. Yeah, the book of Revelations have that beautiful picture of the multitudes of multitudes of people all gathered around the throne room, all people of different races and colors and types, all worshiping together. What else? Can anyone, has anyone else got any pictures? Did anyone, for example, say uh, seeing Al reclining back on a cloud floating by or anything like that? Okay, Emma just said, in case you didn't hear, uh, little Victoria, how old's Victoria? Six going on 26. Uh, so that God's alive in heaven and when uh, she dies and, and uh, mum dies, they'll be able to go to heaven and, and see him and be with him. Um, what else? Anything else? Sorry, speak up, Stephen. Yeah, thank you. So we've got so many different uh, concepts about eternity and I guess one of the things that I wanted to start off by saying is that we, we often think about eternity in terms of a, the length of our life or the length of, of, of time frame, but it's not just length, it's also, uh, it's not just the, the, the quantity, it's also the quality. And we often think about eternity as being that one day when, but the thing is that eternity actually can start right here, right now. And I don't mean by having someone coming in and wiping us all out either. I, I mean, it can actually begin right now and it has begun right now for many of you in your mortal bodies. You see, we, we can look at the fact that we live a mortal life but then there's what Jesus has for us is an eternal life which we don't have to cease breathing to actually to come to. 
Now, um, I think many of us, many of us would rejoice at the thought of eternity. Sharon and I have a friend who's uh, told us a story about when her mother was dying. And mum, the mum was in hospital and uh, apparently she was so excited. She was, she was sick, she was dying, she was so excited. The nurses couldn't believe it because she was saying to the nurses, isn't this exciting? I've never done this before. I've never died before. I've never, uh, I'm about to go and meet Jesus. Are you excited for me? Uh, I'm not sure if the nurses were excited for her or not. But what a wonderful attitude to have as, as we, we step from one life into the next, from one realm into the next. However, not everyone's so excited about the, uh, the, the thought of eternal life. Uh, has anyone here read uh, Huckleberry Finn, the stories of Huckleberry Finn? Oh, of course you have, Anne. Oh, hi, Jeanette, I didn't see you there. <laughs> Welcome from Sydney. Yeah. Um, Tom, uh, Tom Sayer? Sayer? Sawyer? Sawyer, uh, who wrote it. Uh, he, he recounted one, uh, one episode where uh, an old lady was... was um, describing um, what hev- uh, that there were going to be two, two different places that she could go, a good place and a bad place. And she described the bad place. And he said, oh, that sounds like fun. I think I'd, rather li- I'd quite like to go there. And then she, she tried to reprove him and say, no, no, no. And that she wanted to go to the good place. And he described it all. Um, she described it to him. And, and he said, well, I couldn't see no advantage in going where she was going, so I decided not to try for it. So, in other words, the, the thought of eternal life uh, just didn't, um, didn't really do a lot for him. Well, when we get to, it, I think for, for all of us, when we, we try to envisage what eternity will be like, we, we encounter a major problem. You see, our minds and our thinking are framed by human experiences, but eternity is outside of all of this. Uh, I was thinking about this, and I, I could imagine going to a lost tribe in the, the Amazon where people had not encountered technology before. And somehow, if we could manage to, to, to get across the language gap, how would you explain to them Netflix? How would you do that? Because it would be so totally outside of their, um, of their experience that they'd have no way of comprehending. And to be honest, I think eternity is like that for us. In fact, uh, Scripture says a few things about eternity. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says that, uh, that God has also set eternity in the human heart. There's something in us which longs for eternity. It's something that looks for eternity. But no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. It's incomprehensible for us. It's beyond our ability to totally comprehend or fathom. And the Apostle Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 9, he said this beautiful passage and he, he talked about what no, what, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the good things that God has prepared for those who love him. Isn't that a beautiful thought? Uh, it's, it's just something which is beyond our comprehension. And so I want to start right here, right now, by saying that our, our concept of eternity is limited. And it's wrong, because we don't know the total truth. I'm not saying it's all wrong, not at all, but we, whatever we have in our mind is just a fraction of what God has, has got in store for us, what no eye has seen, no, what, what no ear has heard of the good things that God has in store for us. 
So we simply can't fully understand eternity. But through this series, we're going to be unpacking some key aspects that we do know. And I want to, want to, to just re-emphasise a thing, one, one point as we go into this series, and that is eternity starts on this earth, not when we leave it. Eternity is available to every one of us right here, right now. And the life that we start living on this earth can be an eternal life where we start encountering the amazing things that God has got in store for each and every one of us. So let's start with a couple of big questions. Questions like, what is eternal life? And, and who gets a ticket and who, who misses out? So what is eternal life? Well, Jesus defined eternal life for us so if we look in John 17, 3, which is on the screen, um, it says that, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I want you to think about that. What does it say that eternal life is? Tell, give feedback to me. Tell me what it is. That, that we may know God. You see, God is eternal. In him there is life that is eternal. And when it's talking about coming to know God, it's not just and to know Jesus, it's not just talking about coming to know about him. But there's an intimacy in this of actually coming to know him, to be one with him. And as we do that, it's about stepping into the eternity that he is, the eternal life that he has, the eternal life that he offers to each and every one of us. And so I think, if we look at it like this, eternal life is, is like this. It's when we, we take a step from my own mortal life and we go into the realm of God's eternal God's eternal life. So eternal life equals knowing God, which also equates to knowing Jesus. You know, this kind of, of knowing God that is eternal life, it's an interactive experience uh, where I, where we experience God's presence and his favour and his power. But like I've been saying, we don't have to, to wait until we draw our last breath to cross over from death to life, it's actually something that happens, can happen on this earth. To know God and his son Jesus means a number of things. It means that you receive forgiveness for your sins. When you, 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 know, when you come to know God and come to know him through his son Jesus, the forgiveness of your sins happens now. The forgiveness of your sins is appropriated to you now. When we do this, it means that we become a part of his family forever, now, not just later, not just one day, but now. And when we do this, we receive the Holy Spirit as a constant companion who will be with you, comfort you and encourage you, strengthen you, protect you, guide you, shape you. The Holy Spirit wants to, to work in us and through us so that we become more and more like Jesus. The Bible tells us clearly how, how we're created in his image. But 
you know, as, as you look at me or I look at you, I don't see people who necessarily really, really carefully and well reflect God's image. And that's because we're on a, a whole journey of restoration, of being restored from what the world has made us and what we've chosen to be. But as we enter into eternal life, we, we get shaped and we get crafted more and more into the likeness of his son, Jesus. And that's the Holy Spirit is there helping us. And as we, we take that step of coming to know, to really know God, we, we take that step of, of being able to experience the power of a resurrection. The Apostle Paul wrote about this in Philippians 3, 10 and 11, where he said, I want to know Christ and the uh, power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Friends, there is so much of eternity that we, we have which starts right here, right now. Author John Ortberg says this about eternity. He said, eternal life in the individual does not begin after death, but at the point where God touches the individual with redeeming grace and draws them into a life interactive with, with himself and his kingdom. Eternal life comes to us when we choose to trust God that he has our best interest in at heart. You know, even though we might not fully understand them, if we come to believe that God really does have his best interest in heart, at heart, we, we need to embrace the teachings of Jesus. It's not just, yeah, nice idea, Jesus, but it's actually about embracing them so we, em, em, we embody them so that, that the teachings of Jesus, we realise, are there for our, our welfare, our benefit, our refining, so that we can become refined and redefined more and more into the likeness of Christ. That's what happens when we come to know him. We, we come to know his ways. We come to know his words. It's not just coming to know about him, but it's embodying the truth that we actually see in Jesus increasingly in ourselves. In doing this, when we take this step, we leave a kingdom behind and enter into a new kingdom. You see, this kingdom that we leave behind is my kingdom. It's a kingdom where my will reigns. You see, what is a kingdom? A kingdom is a place which is the, the effective um, scope of someone's will taking place. And so, in my own mortal life, it's my will be done, but in God's eternal life, it's his will be done. Now, when we cross over into here, it doesn't unfortunately mean that all of the problems of the world will be over. It doesn't mean that problems like sickness and death and taxes will all automatically disappear. No, we still have to live with suffering, we still have to live with evil. And we still have to live with the, the trauma of violence being done to us by an evil person in an evil act. We still have to, to deal with a sense of, of uh, invasion of privacy and, and disgust even as our homes are broken into, if our home is broken into, and we end up um, being robbed and violated. These things still happen, and part of the reason for that is that there's still other kingdoms that are at place in this world. For example, there's the kingdom of someone else's will. 
So, where they can, they can exert their own influence, which may well impact us. And also, there's the kingdom of Satan, who will be continually trying to tempt us to do what is, is not right, and what is not good, what is going to be harmful for us. You know, when, when we fall into temptation, we end up putting one feet and perhaps two feet down into here, into Satan's kingdom, as we come under, uh, come under his influence. Second Timothy chapter two verse twenty-four uh, talks about the fact that when this happens, um, it, there's an urging in that passage to, to try and teach and instruct for people to be able to break clear, so that they can escape the trap of the devil. And what, that's what happens when we, we repeatedly fall into sin, into temptation, and temptation leads to sin. We, can't, we end up placing ourselves in the realm of Satan, in the realm of the devil. And that's not a good place to be. It's, it's not a good place to be. But this is where the promises that God offers us will come through. You know, in the Scripture, as we read through the New Testament in particular, we'll often see eternity and eternal life being referred to as life. Like it talks about in John 10.10 10, that Jesus said that uh, the thief comes to, to rob and to kill and to destroy, but he has come to bring us life and life in abundance. And that's the kind of life that we can start enjoying on this particular earth. But it's not going to work if we have one foot in this kingdom, this sphere of influence, and one foot here. If we want to live the life that God has for us, it means that we've got to transition into here. So we're, we're firmly in here. And that means that we need to, to take notice of the teachings of Jesus in particular, the teachings of the New Testament in particular, and let that shape us, let that guide us, so that we end up living the life that Jesus actually wants us to live. Does that make sense? Not even one person, does that make sense? Oh, good, good. Oh, I was about to sit down. So, you know, we, we will have pain in this world. We will have suffering. We will have loss. But God's solution to that isn't just to, to send down a, a, a cosmic spacecraft and to, to zip us out of here. Although there have been different strands of Christianity over the years that have really focused on that. You know, like the holiness movement after a lot of the last century really focused on the fact that we're to be away from sin, the whole world is sinful, and we're to wait here and to hold on until we get raptured or we get lifted up or die and go to heaven, etc. That's not what Jesus calls us to be. He actually calls us to, to bring his kingdom into, into the whole world here and he wants us to be active participants and active agents to be able to do that. Uh, to bring his kingdom down to earth. In fact, how Jesus taught us to pray was this. He said, in part of the Lord's Prayer, to pray like this, your kingdom come, and now God's kingdom come, God's place of rule, his effective rule, God's place where your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So how do we bring God's kingdom down to earth? Well, in Scripture, we know that there are two greats. There's the great com greatest commandments and the great what? The Great Commission, yeah. And so when we, we love God with all our being and love our neighbour as Jesus showed us, you know, we're going to bring a touch of heaven to earth. When we go and visit the, 
uh, the sick in hospital, when we go and extend love to the unlovable, when we exercise our muscle of generosity to those that do not have any, when, when we show kindness and compassion, when we reach out and, and, and learn to love and, and put into practice a love like Jesus demonstrated when he told, gave us that new commandment, love each one another as I've loved you, by this all men you'll know you are my uh, disciples if you love one another. When we start to love like Jesus, we're seeing the sphere of his kingdom, the sphere of his influence being expanded on this earth in the most magnificent way, which he, his ambassadors, carriers of not only his message, but his love. And as we go into dark places and we're alive, uh, alive in our faith in Jesus and with the spirit of God, there is going to be a light that is going into even the darkest of places. As we do this, we, 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 see, we see gossip refuted, as an example. We see accusations and curses knocked back. We, we, see, uh, we see people refusing to, to delve into ungodly behaviours. We're seeing the light of his kingdom being expanded. But then there's the second of the greats, which is the Great Commission. And as, as we go and see more people come into his kingdom get by coming to know Jesus and hence receiving eternal life, you know, the light gets brighter. There, there are more lights in our city as more people come to know faith. Uh, one of the things that you know, we've often talked about here is the incredible stories of so many transformed lives, uh, lives in this place where we've seen, seen the light of Jesus being lit in someone's life and then just just grow to brilliance as we see transform life after transform life families transformed through the presence of Jesus in their lives how we can bring his kingdom to earth now some of you I know at the moment are, are contemplating getting baptized and um, you know as that's I guess what baptism symbols symbolizes this baptisms <coughs> symbolizes when i leave this place of my will behind as we go under the waters it's like dying to self it's dying to to my will it's dying to uh the sphere where i'm living a self-willed self-directed self-controlled life and as we come up out of the water we symbolize it symbolizes we're being born into a new life which is a life which is made possible by what Jesus did on the cross and our acceptance of that. That's what baptism symbolizes. You know, as we, with the Great Commission also, as we see new churches being established as well. Um, and that where those churches are intent on, on reaching people and taking uh, the good news to, to people, the good news of Jesus, again, we see the, his kingdom being expanded, his kingdom being brought to earth, heaven being brought to earth. Uh, when Chaz and I were in, in Brisbane just two weeks ago, I got a, an email out of the blue uh, from someone who uh, lives on the north side of Brisbane and um, uh, he's a guy who's only 27 and um, ministry experience and uh, got his master's in leadership through a major Bible college and um, he got in touch wanting to plant a church. And so we've now, we're going the journey with him, met with him a few times and checked out the referees and taking him through a detailed assessment process and all of that. And it looks like he's got about 30 or 40 people that he can gather together 
uh, to see a, a brand new church being established um, in, uh, on the north side of Brisbane next year. And, um, you know, we praise God for people like that who are putting up their, their, their hands to go and do things like this. I know back in April I told this story again, but I think it's, it's, it's so symbolic it's worth it. Um, worth repeating and most of you would have forgotten it by now anyway um, but uh, when um, Robert Louis Stevenson was a young man uh, when he was a boy he was quite ill and uh, he was there this is uh, back in the 1800s in England one night one evening as light was fall, uh, night was falling he was there looking out of his bedroom window on the upper story and his nurse came in wanting to know what he was doing and he was watching a man going around lighting gas lanterns all along the, the street. And every time a lantern would be lit, poof, there'd be an explosion of light that was going into the darkness. And his response was that he was uh, watching a man punching holes in the darkness. Now, I tell you, every time there's a church planted, which is going out to, to see people, um, taking the, the good news of Jesus, and people respond we see lights being punched in the darkness. Every time there's someone who makes a decision to come to faith in Jesus and step into eternal life here and now, we see, we see little flames punching their way into the darkness. That's Jesus' plan for us. Not, not to escape this earth, uh, to, to just be on that, that cloud with the harp and all of that type of thing, but to start living eternity on this earth, be here, right here, right now. And he calls each and every one of us to, to partner with him some way in doing this by being light carriers ourselves wherever we go. People should know that we're, we're different, not because we're hypocritical or judgmental or anything like that, but because of the love that we, uh, we exude and the quality of the light that we live. It should be something which shines as a testimony to everyone. So, what is eternal life? We've touched on that. The next question to explore is, what does it take to achieve it? Well, we've seen Jesus say, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. But what in tangible terms does it, this mean? Over many decades, the emphasis in many countries, including Australia, has been on what we'll call the gospel of salvation. Have you ever heard of that? Yep, maybe, maybe not. It says that if you ask Jesus to forgive your sins, he will, and you'll have eternal life. Now, I have a problem with this. It's called cheap grace, and it's a false doctrine because it doesn't tell the whole story. There's partial truth in it. Uh, but it's dangerous, I think, the way that partial truth is so often... Um, become like it's the whole truth. And the reason, the problem is that uh, Jesus didn't come in to bring a doctrine of salvation. He came to bring in the gospel of the kingdom. And it's by this gospel that we receive eternal life and forgiveness of sins and so much more. You know, when I, I was doing my accounting degree far, far, far too many years ago, decades ago in fact, one of the mates uh, told me about his father who he hadn't seen in, in years. And um, his father used to, uh, to get drunk regularly, beat the mate's mother uh, quite badly. 
But then he'd go to church on a Sunday so that the slate could be wiped clean and everything would be okay. That was what the dad believed. Wrong. It doesn't happen like that. It just doesn't happen like that. The problem is that my friend's father wasn't living in the sphere of God's will, was he? He wasn't living here. He was living here and then hoping he could go and quickly visit here and get absolution and come back here. And it doesn't work like that because what was driving my friend's father was still his will. His will to do what he wanted to with impunity. That's exactly what was going on. There's no transformation that you see in a person like that. You see, Jesus uh, wrote a number of times about how uh, you'll know a true believer by the fruit of their lives, by their fruit. If you can't see the love of Jesus in someone, if you can't see the fruit of, uh, see the, the desire to live a godly life in someone, the question is, which realm are they still living in? Is that a fair question? Yeah, it's a very, very fair question. So there's a lot of people who can say, I'm a Christian, I even lift my arms in worship, etc., but then go off and live a totally immoral life. And I'll tell you, what speaks more, more clearly about the realm which they actually live in? It's the life they're living rather than what they do in the air and a bit on a Sunday. In the New Testament, there are a number of passages where they talk about this kind of behaviour. Um, Israel below quoted one some time ago. I won't re-quote it here. Um, but uh, these passages, uh, they'll go through a list of, of sins, a, a list of behaviours, lifestyle behaviours actually. And uh, like this one in Galatians 5.21, that they... they conclude with a, um, a similar statement. They say, people who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. <coughs> what we often fail to, to, um, to realise is that those statements were actually written to the people in different churches. They weren't statements which were written to the people at large. They were written, to the, in this particular case, to the churches in Galatia, the region of Galatia. And so they're talking about the people who may well be the ones who are lift, lifting their arms in worship or doing the thing of, of being regularly involved in church. But that's no guarantee that we'll end up in the kingdom of God because being in the kingdom of God means that we're actually stepping out of the, the kingdom of my own will into this kingdom here where it's actually God's will that actually is predominant. Now, of course, we're all going to stuff up from time to time. And that's where God's grace comes in, isn't it? Uh, when, when we stuff up, when we sin. Um, but, you know, if our true north is actually wanting to live in that realm of God's kingdom, God's grace is always there to, to cover over our sins. Uh, we don't have to live there. Jesus made it clear that the fruit of our lives will be a clear indication of which kingdom we live in and whether we're living a mortal life or eternal life. In fact, Jesus also said these shocking words in Matthew chapter 7. Um, he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But who? But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So again, we're talking about this sphere, living in the sphere of God's, God's will, as being the marker, if you like, of, of who will uh, come into heaven. 
the passage goes on to say this. It says, May many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many, uh, many miracles? In other words, on that day, uh, many will say to, to Jesus, Lord, we did so many wonderful religious things. We did so many great things for, you, for your church. But then Jesus says, then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Did you hear that, that last statement? I never knew you. Now, what does that say when we, we looked in terms of what we looked at in, in John 17 when eternal life is being defined? Jesus defined eternal life as coming to those people who knew his father and knew him. It's that relationship that he wants with us. Now, today, to this day, there is an, an incident with this verse that still troubles me. Uh, shortly after we planted this church, I was a, uh, fairly young in the faith. I hadn't been a Christian for very long. And there was a, a guy who, you know, there was a friend who was in the church who had been um, a lifelong Christian, I guess you could say. And he came to me a number of times who's troubled by this verse. And uh, he said, surely you can't actually say what, uh, mean what it actually says. And I tried to explain it to him, but because I was probably reasonably young in the faith, even though I was pastoring the church, and um, I was perhaps a bit timid, uh, I was like an apologetic preacher. I was apologising for what I was actually saying almost. And I tried to, oh, yeah, I'm not really sure, etc., etc. Um, and I think in hindsight, this guy was actually after a licence for actually going and doing things which Jesus wouldn't want him to do. Uh, and knowing that he, he was actually still going to be saved, still okay, uh, even if he went and, and did some troubling things. A year or so later, he left his family for another woman. I wish I had been more forthright and actually saying, no, mate, you know, this is, this is, this is actually what it says. And I guess um, as, as my understanding increased over the years, if any of you asks me that question today, guess what? I'm going to be really, really blunt. Uh, I'm going to be really blunt about actually what this passage is actually saying is actually what it means. Um, there's no doubt about it whatsoever. Again, it's you know, Jesus is talking about, about which sphere are you actually living in? Which kingdom are you living in here? Now, in this verse, Jesus spoke clearly of the battle of wills that takes place. Eternal life is attained when that decision is made to live in the kingdom of God's will rather than my own mortal will. So the big question, and as we're you know, not far off the finish of the message here, hope... Hope to everyone who hasn't frozen yet, but uh, I know it's a little bit cool. That's why I've got the Tassie suit coat on. <coughs> so the big question needs to change from what does it take to achieve eternal life to what does Jesus actually require of me? Well, there are two ways of looking at this verse, uh, at this, this con concept. What does Jesus actually require of me? And, you know, there's looking at it in two ways. There's a right way and guess what else there is? Oh, you guys, you've, you've heard this before. How did you guess? So let's have a look at the wrong way first. People call this, what I'm about to draw, draw a bounded set. And a bounded set happens when you actually define the parameters, the boundaries. 
And so you think, okay, for someone who, um, so someone who crosses over here to come inside, that means that they have eternal life. And that means that they're going to be forgiving of others. They won't be sexually immoral. They'll come to church every week. <laughs> They'll be incredibly generous with their tithes and offerings. <laughs> and, you know, all of these other behaviours. But if they stuff up, well, they don't belong here anymore. Have you ever encountered that type of religious attitude? I know some of you have. Some of you sure have in the past. So, there are a few problems with this approach. One is that it says nothing about the heart, does it? All it does is it judges the outward out, outlying behaviours. Um, you know, when we talk about the heart, uh, Scripture makes it clear all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's glorious ideal. So, if we're just going to judge on the sins that we actually see, it just forces people also to, to cover over their sins. And it says nothing about the sins that are inside, like envy, pride, unforgiveness, uh, the things which are, uh, I guess, the more hidden sins. Uh, another problem is that this way of looking, it doesn't allow for the grace of God. And it makes us judgmental. And it leads us to having religious attitudes and a religious mindset. So can you get from now, that's not the way to look at it. it. It's a really convenient way to look at it, trying to determine who's in crowd and who's out crowd. Um, and unfortunately, I'd say uh, over the years have been churches that have, been, have defined in crowd, out crowd by things like this. So I might have mentioned to you once that um, Sharon was criticised uh, when I first started going out with her criticised one day because she was going to be wearing jeans to church and uh, that was something that clearly wasn't an acceptable behaviour in here. But then, so that's the bounded set approach and there's a, a thing called the centred set approach. Now the centred set is where we have a circle and right in the middle we have a focal point which is Jesus. And by looking at the centred set approach, it's, it's talking about... Um, uh, our relationship with him and whether or not we actually want to draw close to him. And in all honesty, often we don't know where this boundary line is. It's about, it's about being on the journey to discover him, to walk with him, to know him, to receive the, the, the gifts that he has for us, including forgiveness, to be transformed by him, to follow him. And we're all at different stages on the journey. And, you know, perhaps at times we, we go forward and then we go back a little bit. But the, the thing about this, it's actually having a Christ-centred approach where we actually have Jesus at the centre of our life. And so it's not so much the whether behaviours are, are qualifying or disqualifying, but rather it's about what's in our heart here. Now, there, there are so many passages I could have chosen to, to elaborate on this, but I'm there's just one that I wanted to finish off on. And Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, he said, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, 
for I am gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what does Jesus require of me? Well, the first is that we come to him. Uh, That's an act of of our will. Uh, It's a decision that we actually make to enter into relationship with him. So we come to know him. And as we looked earlier, that's where eternal life starts, in coming to know him. But then it goes on to a next stage. And it says, we're to take his yoke. What's his yoke? Well, that's not a thing that you put on oxen or cattle or anything like that. Uh, The yoke of a rabbi was his way of life. It was when you wore the yoke of a rabbi, you were taking on his way of life and his teachings, etc. And that's why um, in the New Testament, the the Pharisees at times were criticised by saying that uh, their yoke was, was, um, I can't remember, remember the word, but it was, was crushing, it couldn't be carried. It, you know, they're, they're, it's referred to as a few times here, but Jesus is saying, my way of life, my way of teaching, uh, I want you to take that on. Take on my way of teaching and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. See, what Jesus wants is disciples. Now, what's a disciple? We make it sound all nice and technical, but let me put it like this, a disciple is simply an apprentice, an apprentice to a master. And this picture of a rabbi and the yoke is a picture of a master who is a rabbi, who is Jesus, and the apprentices, those who are actually walking with them and learning from them. And that's us. Jesus wants us to be going in the same direction as him. Does that make us sound reasonable? You know, if Jesus is going in this direction and we're his apprentices and we're going in this direction, what does it tell us about our life? I think it goes back to the earlier diagram, we're, we're living that self-willed life instead of his life. But the pathway of eternal life is a pathway of following Jesus. Oh, that's so simple, isn't it? Which means absorbing his teaching, putting it into practice, letting it shape us, letting us become more and more like him. And then Jesus here says that, that it won't be onerous. In fact, eternal life is a better life. Eternal life is a better life. We may think that living my will is a better life, but Jesus says something quite, quite different. He says, this is the better life and it won't be onerous. And he's come to give us a life of abundance. But friends, this is where the rubber hits the road. The choice is up to us as to whether we want it or not. The choice is up to us as to whether we want to say, yep, that's the life that I want and therefore I will follow Jesus. Or if we decide to to keep living the life that we can control. And that, my friends, is the essence of the gospel that Jesus came to bring. In finishing, I wanted to to retell two brief parables that Jesus told. (coughs) really short parables. He said, the kingdom of heaven, and here we're talking about this eternal life thing, um, is like treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had, and he bought that field. And then he told a second parable, which is very similar. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. 
And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and he bought it. The treasure was hidden in a field. It wasn't superficially obvious. He had to dig for it and find it. And likewise, the pearl of great value was, was hidden in plain sight. It was there amongst the other pearls. So it wasn't really hidden. It was just something that you could easily overlook because you, it, it wasn't easily differentiated. Well, I guess the question that I have for you is we, we're about to take communion in a moment. Is the treasure of eternal life Staring, starting right here, right now, a treasure that is hidden in the field or a pearl of great price for you. You see, in both of those passages above, a common theme was this, that the man went away and sold everything that he had and he brought it because he valued what well, this pearl of great price, this thing about the kingdom of God, about eternal life, more than anything that he owned. He went and sold everything Nothing mattered compared to grasping hold of this thing that God had for them. Nothing mattered in comparison. And sometimes we clutch onto the things that we have, like our own self-controlled life, and we're on a losing street when we do that because that'll take us so far, but ultimately it's not going to satisfy. Ultimately it's not going to make the difference that we want. Ultimately it will not affect our eternity in a way of seeing our eternity beyond this earth with God. Our eternity on this earth, walking with Jesus with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. How much do we value what Jesus is offering us? Or are we allowing other things to get in our way? Are we allowing other kingdoms to intrude? Or are we just drawing closer and closer to the centre here? the place of Jesus, the place he wants us to be as we follow him. And if that's the case, let nothing, nothing, nothing get in our way, get in your way, get in my way. So will you put that life that Jesus offers above all else will you make that decision today to grasp hold of it never let it go or to, to re, re-grasp it. Perhaps you need to say, look, Lord, I'm sorry, but I, I've lost sight of things and I would need to come home again. Will you grasp it, no matter what your workmates or your family say, no matter what they expect of you? Will you grasp what Jesus offers, the eternity, the eternal life beginning right here, right now, above the things that you, you want, the things that you think will make you happy and take the pain away? What a precious gift he offers. The gift has to be received. Now we're going to take communion. So as we come up to take communion, I invite you to do so considering considering the parables we've just seen and what your response will be. And then before Kate leads us in a final worship song, I'm just going to get up to say one or two more words and, um, and then we'll close off for the day. I just encourage you to come and take of the bread 
You take of the juice, which is symbolic of the, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, which he gave for up, to, up for us so that we may have eternal life. as we go into the week just encourage you to to take the thoughts with you of um, eternal life has started we're, we're living in that zone it's not, not just a one day thing but you know perhaps our friends, perhaps our family perhaps our relatives also need to, to come into this life that Christ has, has purchased for us, for each and every one of us Perhaps there's a word of encouragement that you can bring to them. Perhaps there's something that you can share. Perhaps that you can invite them to church. Perhaps that you can invite them into your world in a new way. Perhaps there are also some of you here who need to make the decision to get baptised or have made the decision to get baptised. And what I'd encourage you to do is come and talk to me if that's the case about that. And, or you can send me a text or a message and, or email or communicate somehow or other. Uh, but just get in touch with us and we can work out um, the date, work out for when, work out any questions that you might have, uh, work through those. But, you know, when we come to the baptisms, the next baptisms that we'll have, again, I just wanted you to realise that it's, it's to celebrate stepping into eternal life right here, right now. It symbolises leaving behind that self-willed life to, to step into the life that Jesus had prepared for us. Father, I thank you and praise you that you are such an almighty God. Lord, I pray for your grace to be poured out afresh upon us. Lord, that you, you'll bless each and every one of us with your presence not just today, but every day through the week. Lord, that you'll fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, the powerful and beautiful presence of your Holy Spirit, that we may radiate the glow of Jesus wherever we may go. Lord, that you will use us as your ambassadors, as your witnesses, that you'll let your love flow in us and through us so that we can be a blessing to many. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be blessed.